Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, free tools to try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that number, which is our area code here in Baton Rouge. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States. That's absolutely correct, and we certainly wish you would. We always love hearing from folks all around town, around the country, or... Even around the world. Around the world. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you just give us a call. It couldn't be easier. You will put you right at the top of the list, get your question answered. And that is not only the best way, but pretty that's much pretty the much, only way. That is, that is it. <laughs> well, to get a live answer, it is. I get folks call the shop a lot of times and want to speak to me or speak to someone. I'm sorry, we just can't do that. Uh-huh. I mean, the reason we do the radio show is to give free advice to folks. And we have a website with a contact feature and all that. But other than that, I just can't come to the phone and chat with you during the day i just right. don't have the time time is divided up among all the folks who are already there getting their cars fixed and trying to coordinate everything and get the work done and get the work out so don't be offended i'm not trying to avoid you or anything it's just that i can't physically do that and exactly so this is the time <laughs> <laughs> let's go to the phone line with mike good morning mike great i just always want to tell you how much i appreciate your show you guys are the best well, well thank, thank you. you all right Listen, I have a couple of questions, if I could, right there surrounding transmission issues and fluid. I, I got a question that just came up as far mm-hmm. as ratings, slashes, specifications, mm-hmm. slashes, the naming of ATF. There's, okay. you know, Mercon 5, Dexon, Mercon, SP3. Right. I'm wondering, is that a rating or more of a name? And how does that relate with the multi-vehicle ATFs out there? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Mike. The name that you see is a brand name. Now, a brand name is specific for a period of time. For instance, when Dexron first was introduced, that was a trademark of General Motors Corporation. And it meant something. It was a certain specification and all that. Now, the life span on a trade name is generally about 10 years. After 10 years, it sort of becomes public domain after that. Now, the problem is it's not like the name brand police who go out and make sure that if you're using this name, you still meet all the original specifications that the original product did. So it can be a bit of an issue for customers to try to figure all that out. Same thing with Mercon. Mercon was originally a brand name for Ford Motor Company. That expired years ago, and now the word Mercon is basically just a generic term. It doesn't necessarily mean any specific thing. Now, Mercon 5 is a more specific name because it's not as old, and I think it's specific. it will tell you that this does meet this. Same was like ATF Plus 4 for Chrysler or Dexron 6 for GM. Those are still going to be specific products that do meet specific specifications. Beyond that, the only thing you can do is go in and try to figure out what the specifications are. You'll see sometimes it'll say meets or exceeds GM spec, yeah, 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 or meets or exceeds Chrysler spec, yeah, 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 yeah. I tell you the truth, Mike, with me, we operate a pretty big automotive shop. I stock about 20 to 25 different kind of transmission fluids and probably as many different coolants just because I want to make sure it is the proper product i don't use the multi-brand stuff i know some people say they're okay other people say they aren't okay i'm just not it's just i'm not gonna save enough money on that to take the risk of damaging even one transmission or one cooling system yeah that makes perfect sense basically better safe than sorry that's exactly right right. and we buy our coolant from toyota i buy the toyota brand i buy my fluids and stuff from motocraft i buy my gm stuff through gm we buy Dexcool in 55-gallon drums from GM. 
And really, it's not any more expensive, particularly when you're buying it in large bulk like that. And I know I've got the exact right product when I do that. I just can't afford to mess somebody's car up. Great. Guys, can I sneak in maybe one or two more? Sure. All right. I got a 2003 F-150. I, I'm getting ready to go on a trip, and I noticed there's a whine in the drivetrain at about between 40 to 50 miles per hour. Okay. I stuck it in neutral while mm-hmm. moving right. at that speed, and the whine stopped. Yeah. Me. Mike, that is almost always going to be either a pinion bearing that's going bad or some gear noise one or the other. And generally it starts out with a bad pinion bearing, but if you continue to drive it, because as the bearing gets bad, it changes the mesh and lap on the gears. It will make a pattern on those gears. And even if you change the bearings, the noise persists. That's gear noise. So And that's the rear end or the transmission? In the rear, rear differential, end. 90% of the time, if you let off and it goes away, that's almost always going to be the pinion bearings or the gear noise. What you're doing when you when you let off the accelerator and the, the vehicle coast, you're unloading the, the gear set and the differential. Correct. Therefore, that the noise is going to change. Yeah, that's what they call a high point gear, which means the gear intersects off the center line of the ring gear and is cut at angles so that it almost screws in when you're accelerating. It, it feeds in, so it loads that front bearing. When you decelerate, it sort of screws back out and unloads that bearing. So that's why the noise that's comes up. and goes. Mm-hmm. Is that something you think I need to like take care of right I would. away? Or? I would take care of it sooner rather than later because right now it may just be a matter of replacing the bearings. If you go too long, you're going to end up having to replace gears and bearings. And okay. a, a gear set for that truck's over 500 bucks, aren't they? Yeah, Ford has lowered the price on a lot of their gear sets because they had trouble with the gears wearing out in them. So they're a little cheaper than like GM or Chrysler, but they're still pretty expensive. Right. And that is a real, real specialized deal, yes. Mike. I don't know, but about one or two guys... Who can do that kind of work? I mean, I've seen hundreds of people try it, but, I mean, it, you need really a differential specialist, somebody who really does that work a lot and knows what he's doing. It's, it's very, very tricky to get those gears set just right. Okay. Well, thanks for the info, guys. I always appreciate it. Okay, Mike, where are you calling from? Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Oh, All okay, right. great. Good deal. Hey, we yeah. appreciate you calling, man. Thank you, sir. Thank All you. Right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you're only part of the automotive hour, you stick a 225 in front of there. You can call from Florida or Anywhere else you want to call from? California, Washington. <laughs> I mean, we can go on. Yeah, we, there's, there's, there's at least 47 more. There you go. <laughs> Just here in this country. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, give us a call. We're going to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Mike brings up a really good point, and I know a lot of shops that will put the universal coolants in right some of them even just put the wrong coolant in they stock the green coolant and, and they dump it in everything. in everything they stock dextron regular transmission fluid and put it in everything uh-huh. and if they want to do that hey god bless them the risk is on them just understand when you go places what is being put into your car right. not everybody who hangs a shingle out front knows what they're doing well knows what they're doing or subscribes to the same theories of auto repair my theory is I'm going to put it back as good or better than the factory built it. Uh-huh. And if there's something better, I will examine that. But the minimum standard for me is to put it back the way the factory built it. Right. The same fluid, the same exact specifications, the same oil, a quality oil filter. I just think that is the lowest overall cost is to put it back exactly the way that it goes. You know, Let's say you buy some or someone puts a phosphate-type coolant into your system and your system calls for an HOAT coolant. Uh-huh. Well, what happens is that the phosphates start to attack the seal in the water pump. So now, not right away, 
but maybe a year later, your water pump goes out. Well, he saved a dollar a gallon on coolant, and you're spending $600 for a water pump. And, and he, maybe getting broke down. Maybe overheating the engine, blowing a head gasket. And it doesn't relate back to the previous repair. Most people are not going to trace it back unless you bring it to someone who says, hey, it's got the wrong coolant here. Right. And even then, you can't prove conclusively that That's caused the problem. So you're in a very dicey area at, at best. I'm just saying, if I am going to maintain my car, I want the exact right product in exactly. there. And with transmission fluids, what happens, they design transmissions constantly. And a lot of times in testing or possibly even in the field, what will happen is they will notice some characteristic that is objectionable. Maybe it's a shutter when it goes in the lockup. Maybe it's a rough shift. Maybe the transmission slips too much, and so it's starting to wear out faster than it should. It may be the valve bodies are not holding up. They're wearing out prematurely. They may go in and chemically engineer a fluid that will prevent this problem. Right. Now, when you buy that fluid, you are getting what you paid for, which is all the years of experience, the years of knowledge, all the engineering, the best that can be done to get the product that's going to work with that vehicle. Now, if you trust the guy at the parts store, you know, do you really want a minimum wage parts seller telling you what's going in your car, <laughs> or do you want the engineer who designed the product and right. knows all the different ins and outs of why this fluid is in there and the thing about it in every owner's manual in the back is a fluid specification mm -hmm. it tells you exactly what needs to go in that car right that is what i like to use yeah at a minimum at, at, a, at, at a minimum, a minimum we minimum. want to go there and you know i remember hearing somewhere along the line have you ever gotten anything that was just as good that was because <laughs> <laughs> that's always what they say was well, this is just, just good, good just yeah. good ass well, okay well why isn't it the same then you yeah. know it's just as good as and generally, what drives that is the price. Sure. And, of course, a couple of weeks ago, we were discussing price versus cost, and we've talked about it many, many, many times. And if you buy a product that is priced less but creates a problem that costs far more, have you really saved money? I had an email from a gentleman not too long ago, and he was saying that his air conditioning, he had an older vehicle that originally came with R12. Right, right. He had converted it to 134A. And he said it didn't really cool properly. He wanted to know if adding a fan to the condenser might help, right. an auxiliary fan to the condenser. I said, well, let me ask you, why did you not just use the R12? Well, it's too expensive. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's about $30 a pound. This system holds about two and a half pounds. So that's about $75. The regular refrigerator, the 134A, probably costs $25. So that's $50 extra. Now, he wants to spend $300 on a pusher fan to make it to cool. Try to make it cool. To try, now, try to is make that it work. really good math? Not really. I mean, and you're fighting the design of the system. Sure. Because on an R12 system, the condenser's different. The compressor's different. Everything it's in that system different. was different. And for the most part, it's a smaller unit. It's generally about a half ton smaller than the units they use today. And the thing about it, but it looks the same on the outside. It looks the same. On the outside. Right. The internals are different. So to save a few dollars on refrigerant, you've gotten something that really doesn't work very well. Now you want to add a lot of other things to it. To so try to make it work. It's kind of like I always say. It's like if you need a guard dog and you get a chihuahua with enough training and enough this and, you know, a bulletproof vest and everything else, you might could take that chihuahua and turn it into <laughs> some sort of a guard dog. Why don't you start out with a German Shepherd? There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's, what he's made, that's what he's made to do. <laughs> that's right. You could probably get a whole lot better results for a whole lot less money, a whole lot less frustration. That's it. 
Let's go ahead and take another call. We've got Herb on line. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. I was uh, want to ask you a question. My wife's car don't never go nowhere, maybe New Orleans once in a while. It's got 40,000 miles on it. It's 2011. Okay. And I can't put new tires, and I don't because they hit their six-year limit. Right. And I'm worrying about the red fan belt. It's got, it's got about 40,000 on it. I don't think it's worn like you say. Yeah, you know, it, it, slipping. yeah it probably wouldn't wear. Those will generally make about seven years, Herb, in my experience. I don't like to push them much past seven years. I mean, okay. I've seen a few go longer, but you get to a point where the risk starts to eat up the right. savings. I mean, you got to right. change it sooner or later. So, changing it a little bit sooner only costs a few dollars more. It doesn't cost the amount, of, the whole amount of the product. I mean, let's say the belt costs eighty dollars, and you go eight years. Well, it was ten dollars a year. If you go seven right. years, well, you know, it's only about eleven dollars a year. So, yeah. you, it's a dollar more, and you don't risk breaking down. So, okay, one more question then, mm-hmm. my Honda. It's got twenty six thousand on it, and it's a two thousand and twelve. It's mm-hmm. Ridgeline. Will I, if I change when the time comes, which ain't too long off, to change the timing, the uh, timing belt? Yes, yeah, would, mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily need the all the other things change that y'all normally change with a hundred thousand miles. So you, you don't like? necessarily have to. What I would do, Herb, or what I do is that when I go into a lower mileage vehicle to change the time belt, I kind of examine everything, try to take a look at it. If I think these parts will make another seven years, then I'll say, okay, let's just go ahead and reuse them. Mm-hmm. If in good conscience, I don't think they'll make another seven years, I'm right there right now. And mm-hmm. the cost to come back is more than the savings. So right. you just got to weigh it out. But you know, stuff like the idler pulleys, certainly they'll probably still be okay. The water pump may still very well be okay. I mean, I would probably change the timing belt. I would probably change the seals just because those seals are about seven or eight bucks a piece. They're real cheap. They're right mm-hmm. there. And if they go bad, they're going to leak all over your brand new belt. Yeah. Right. right. Mm-hmm. I change the outside belt just because I got to take it off anyway. Yeah. Well, time is going to get it this time and next time right. rather, than, rather than mileage because sure. I don't drive it much no more. Correct. Okay. Okie dokie. Well, I just wanted to refresh my memory there. Okay, her. All right. Hey, thanks, thanks, thanks Carl, man. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We're going to take one quick little break and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway. Whoa, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep, it's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah, I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back, and thanks for joining us this Saturday morning. We really appreciate it, and this is the Automotive Hour, just in case you didn't know what you were listening to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we've got a 
pretty good contingent of folks who listen every Saturday morning. We do. And then you we got do. people who are channel surfing, may just come across us. So just in case you did, hey, it was Automotive Hour. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> and they'll stay and listen. That's right. What we talk about on this program is your automobile and not only that, not only auto repair, but ways to save money, ways right. to get it repaired better and so on as that. And, of course, any other topic automotive related that you might want to know, you just give us a call. A lot of times we have a specific topic we discuss, but that does right. not limit the calls oh, to no, no. that topic. You call in anything that's on your mind, and we will discuss it and talk about it and try to get you an answer, get you some free advice. And now's the perfect time to do it. Well, it is. We've got all our lines wide open right now as opposed to maybe later on in the show where we'll be jammed up and you won't be able to get through. But, yeah, just uh, give us a call. It's 291-6901. We always love hearing from you. I was talking to a fella earlier this week, and he was talking about how – expensive things are uh-huh. and of course auto repair is no exception to right. that auto repair is expensive just like almost everything when you go to the store and purchase something you're kind of shocked by the price a lot of times and you go out to eat so, right. you know just things are just expensive as a general rule and he was asking why auto repair was so expensive and i said well one thing it is a skilled trade so the people who do the work make a fair amount of money which is part of it parts are fairly expensive that we use in the work but more to the point the things that is driving the high prices in auto repair today more so than any other single thing one thing is government regulations in that when they start mandating things like tire pressure monitoring systems on cars and traction control systems and this that and the other Each of those things adds complexity to the repair process and adds cost to the repair process. For instance, when you used to rotate tires, all you just took them off, moved them to a different position, put them back back on. on, Add them up, and you were done. That's right. A lot of people would do that for free sure, or low, low price. Well, now when you go to rotate tires, you have to relearn tire pressure monitoring system. Correct which just looking up the procedure is going to take some time. Well, and it would be one thing if it was all done with the same procedure, did everything. Right. But even between manufacturers, there's different procedures for relearning this system. Well, different models and different years and even different factors they're built in. And if you don't relearn it, sometimes the light will come on. That's right. Sometimes if you have a low tire, it will tell you the wrong position now. That's right. So there's a reason behind having to relearn it all. Well, it takes a lot more time, and time is money. It also takes special tooling. It does. You have to have a certain tool for these cars, a different tool for these cars, a different tool for these cars, and some of these are $1,500, $1,800 a piece just for these little tools to reset it. So what you will notice is that when you go get your tires rotated now, the guy may hand you a bill for 50 bucks. Well, there's an additional charge at some places. At most places. Now, if we sell you the tires, we will rotate them for you as a courtesy. However, there is generally going to be a charge for something that used to be little charge or no charge. And that's only one example. Another example that comes to mind is like air conditioning work, which is expensive anyway, but we're doing an awful lot of evaporator core replacements we are which is a extremely expensive repair because the entire dash has to come out of the car right you got to tear it all the way down to the back of the firewall that's right which is probably 10 to 15 hours worth of labor and what makes all these evaporator cores go bad well a lot of people do not realize that a few years back the government mandated that we start reducing the amount of refrigerant in the air conditioning systems Uh for instance 20 years ago, it was not uncommon to see a system that held five pounds of refrigerant. Right. Well, now the systems hold maybe two pounds. Maybe two pounds. Some of them as little as 12 ounces of refrigerant. 
Now, when you've got considerably less refrigerant to work with and people get just as hot and the temperature gets hotter Hotter. than ever, (laughs) then you have to go to more efficient units. Now, efficient reads complex. Right. The evaporator core today is a far more complex assembly than it was 20 years ago. It's aluminum. It is reinforced. It has multiple passes of a very, very small tubing with all kinds of fins and plates and stuff. What happens is you become, it's a very rigid and very, very complex assembly. Now, if you think about it, it's sitting out there in the sun. It's probably 140 degrees inside that car. Easy. Which means that aluminum core is 140 degrees. Now, if you take a piece of aluminum, you heat to 140 degrees, what happens? It expands. It expands drastically, right? right? You crank the car up. You cut the AC on. That refrigerant at about 34 to 36 degrees hits that 140 degree core. Guess what happens? It's going to contract. Exactly. Drastically. Now, you cut it off, and the same cycle repeats. Now, that doesn't mean there's going to be a problem immediately because they're designed to do that. Sure, but However, over a period of time. Yeah, after about eight years, ten years of doing this and 100,000 miles or so, that aluminum cracks. Sure. It's just like taking a tin can and working it back right. and forth. Or a paperclip. Or any, any type of metal, metal like mm-hmm. that and working it back and forth, eventually it's going to crack. It's going to eventually fatigue, and it's going to crack. And when it cracks, it's going to leak. And when it leaks... It's oh, inside of a big plastic case with two pieces as bolt to the firewall and dash is put in on top of it. Exactly. So what happens is that some politician had the great idea that we're going to cut down the amount of refrigerant in cars to prevent leaks or reduce leaks. Uh-huh. And what he did instead is he created a leak that, and frankly, a lot of people can't afford to repair this leak. Right. So what they're doing now, they're going by refrigerant and dumping it in the car and it's leaking out. So they've created a much bigger problem and, right. and they've inflated the cost of repair enormous i know a lot of people that if you can charge it and it'll last a, a summer right then we're going to charge it next summer we'll charge it again right and what happens you get to the point where you're having to charge every two weeks and certainly and that's not practically longer right but what can also happen is if the crack is near the bottom of the core which many times they are because that's where the coldest spot is what will happen is that the pressure of the refrigerant leaking out will force the oil which is heavier than the refrigerant so it settles to the bottom of the core now, if you've got a little layer of oil in the bottom of this core and you've got pressure on it as a whole, it's going to push the oil out. Correct. That's the smell that you get in the car a lot of times. People say, well, I can smell the refrigerant. No, you can't smell refrigerant. It's odorless and cuddleless. What you're smelling is the oil is, is leaking out, and you, and you smell that rancid oil smell. But if you pump out enough oil, and enough is not a whole lot, because not most systems system. only have six to eight ounces of oil total. If you lose an ounce or two of oil, now the compressor runs out of oil, the compressor fails. When the compressor fails, it pumps metal throughout the entire system, which takes out the condenser, it plugs wall, the expansion valve, any of the mufflers, the or mufflers hoses. and the hoses. So now we've got a catastrophic failure. And again, what I'm getting back to is that's where the cost comes from. It's sort of like if you go to a restaurant and you tell the guy you want a piece of fish and he doesn't bring you a piece of steak, you can't get mad at the waiter. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You, you got to watch what you ask for. And the reason manufacturers are billing such complex cars, a big part is government regulations. Right. Right. Another part is that people ask for that stuff. People ask for gadgets and gizmos and all that, so they build it. because. That, but, again, you got to remember that little tailgate that you just wave your foot under the bumper and it, it opens. opens. It's very cool, but it's it got a cost. Those USB ports that are tied into a computer that has online Wi-Fi, it's very, very cool, but it all has a cost. One day it's going to break and it's going to have to be fixed. So 
we got to look at all the different factors that go in. It's not just a bunch of greedy shop owners who decide to charge a whole lot more money. Right. You're working on a vastly, vastly more complex machine that requires a lot more sophisticated tooling. So the costs are rising every day. Exactly. And it's one of those things, if you buy a new car, you got to kind of get used to that because it's coming. It costs a whole, whole lot more <laughs> to repair. Hey, we're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at ATCO and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at ATCO Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Need some advice? Need a little pointer one way or the other to help get you off dead center? That's it. Give us a call, 291-6901. That'll get you right to us. We were talking about expensive repairs and such as that, and one very expensive repair that comes to my mind, and that is a catalytic converter. Right. Catalytic converters, for the most part, I mean, there are some that are fairly reasonable in price. I know some of the Toyota Camrys, I think some of the four-cylinders, have a converter that's part of the manifold, and it's about $300 or so. And that's certainly not insignificant, but it is fairly inexpensive compared to a lot. Well, it depends on where it's positioned on the engine right. and how much labor it's going to take to actually it change that. It does piece. take a little more labor on that one than some. Now, some are very, very easy to replace, maybe an hour's labor to do the whole job, but the part may be twelve, fourteen hundred, or more. Right. Some vehicles have more than one. More I mean, than I can, one. I can think of a couple of vehicles that have four. Well, the one that comes to my mind is the ford mustang it has i think four converters and they sell them two together i think they come as pairs okay and i believe those are somewhere north of two thousand dollars per side holy moly so if you took out both side catalytic converters roughly you'd looking at four grand in worth just of in parts. parts yeah right. not much labor maybe an hour's labor to change all four of them because they right. just bolt and unbolt but very 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 pricey part and for some reason ford seems to be more expensive on the converters than a lot of folks although gm doesn't cut you any slack i was gonna say they're right up there with them some of the gm converters in the 900 dollars range some are more some are less but that's kind of how they are toyota too is very very expensive on some of their converters 15 1800 dollars right so. and some of them don't have a flange you have to cut those out and re-weld the new mm-hmm. one in mm-hmm and a, a substantial amount of labor. Right. Some of your Honda products are in the $600 range or so. And like I said, the point is, it's a fairly expensive part of the vehicle. It is. Now, there are things you can do to help prevent problems with a converter. Right. 
one of the very first things that comes to mind, one of the leading causes of catalytic converter failure is a misfire. For instance, if you don't change your spark plugs when you were supposed to, let's say they're supposed to be changed at 100,000 miles. You get to 100,000 miles, the car runs just fine. So why bother? So why it? bother with it? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. So you get up to about 120, 130,000 miles. It's still running just fine. But what's happened is that the electrodes of these spark plugs has worn away, so the gap has gotten wider and wider, which requires more and more energy to ionize that gap. And what the computer's been doing is increasing the duty cycle to the ignition coils in all this time. To make it fire longer. To make it fire longer, to make it fire so that it runs well. Well, eventually the coils start to burn up. Now, when the coil burns up, check engine light pops on, or maybe not, but you get a stumble and a rough running sensation and sometimes it's intermittent. It may come, it may go, and a lot of people sense it, but they don't really know what it is. Uh-huh. So they said, well, doesn't seem to be hurting. I'm going to keep on driving. Well, what is happening here is that when that engine misfires, and when that spark doesn't ignite that fuel-air mixture, the injector still squirts the fuel into the cylinder. Right. It's still compressed with air, but it doesn't ignite. So when the exhaust valve opens, it goes right out the tailpipe, goes out the exhaust valve. Right. Now, when it goes out the exhaust valve, it flows into the catalytic converter. Now, this is a chamber full of little honeycombs and stuff that's extremely hot. 12, 1,500 degrees. Yeah, it can very well be. And the purpose is to burn up the oxides of nitrogen and the nasty stuff that's in the automobile exhaust so it doesn't get out to the environment. However, when you start to inject gasoline, unburned fuel into this, the temperature is going to skyrocket. Right. And it is going to melt down. Sort of like Chernobyl. Yeah. I mean, oh, I, look, I've seen it. You look under a vehicle and it's glowing. It'll glow red. It gets so hot. Right. And that honeycomb can melt, which blocks the exhaust. It loses efficiency. And there's two sensors there that measure that. So first thing you know, the light pops on. And it's either a code PO420 or code PO430. And that is truly a check money light at that point. Exactly. It's too late now. Yeah. It's very much too late to say, well, I'll just go ahead and change plugs like I was supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> So we kind of went the long way around a tree with the scenario, but uh-huh. that just shows you when you overlook something that should have been done, the ramification is vastly more expensive yes, when you is. finally come to it. For instance, a set of spark plugs installed might have been a couple hundred dollars. Well, you still got to do that. Right. Because if Plus, you don't, you got some burned up ignition calls. Plus, you've got some diagnostic time involved to find out what's wrong. Plus, maybe you got a catalytic converter or two. All for the lack of not changing the plugs when they were supposed to be changed. Exactly right. And that's one reason we came up with the general inspection, because it's awful hard for people to remember what needs doing when. When. So it's easy to overlook maintenance items. And what happens is that you overlook these things, and then the ramifications down the road are far, far greater. Now, clearly, you can get out your owner's manual. You can study it. You can make up a little flow chart. You can make yourself a reminder system. You can... Start right. doing all the things you're supposed to do on the time frame you're supposed to do them. Or you can bring the car in once a year, have someone professionally inspect it, and tell you, hey. What it needs. And what you're doing there is you're starting to prevent problems rather than waiting for a problem to occur and then paying to fix it. Right. Which is a whole lot less expensive. Well, it is, because once the problem occurs, you're into big money then. Mm-hmm. That's most, right. Most of the time, you're into the big money. Well, it's one of those things where it's too late to say I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry I don't feed the bulldog That's in this it. case. 
Now, that's one of the scenarios that could damage a catalytic converter. There's many, many others. Another thing that a lot of people do not realize, they put the wrong oil into their engine. Okay. And I know a lot of old mechanics or people who used to work on their own cars right. and they don't re- they'll look at the specification of the oil and say zero w20 man that's too thin it's hot down here so they'll put 10w30 or 20w50 or whatever they think is better in uh-huh. well what happens is that that thicker oil has volatility correct and as the crankshaft beats through it it starts to pick it up whip it into a vapor which floats around the crankcase the PC system comes in, it sucks that vapor out, which is sucking liquid all out now, instead of just fumes like it's supposed to and moisture. So it does a number of things. Number one, it can add to all consumption. Back sure. in the old days, you say, well, when your car starts burning all, put thicker all. That can make it burn all worse. Right. Because number one, the volatility is greater. Number two, it's going to throw more oil up on the cylinder walls because it boosts the oil pressure, so it's going to be harder to control. It sucks this all up. The oil goes into the catalytic converter, and it is very much like gasoline, gasoline going into the converter. Right. Because, it raises the temperature. Well, yeah. At that temperature, oil and gasoline are pretty much equally flammable. Right. It's going to start to burn in the converter, and it's going to take that converter out. So just something as simple as making the wrong choice of oil, putting the wrong oil in the engine. Well, for an example, Ford, on their Crowns, their uh, 4.6 liter, mm-hmm. when they first came out, they were running a 530. Right. And they noticed they started having a lot of converter troubles. That's right. So they went to a 520. Right. They revised so the spec down to a 520 synthetic blend. Right. So you still get the same protection, but with a thinner all, which reduces that volatility. Which started making the converters Converters last. lasting a whole, whole lot longer. Not right. only that, but the upper end of the engine held up longer because... That thinner oil can get, get to the, the top, top of the engine and lubricate those components faster than the thick oil. That's right. It's one of those things that kind of flies in the face of logic. And I know a lot of old mechanics or a lot of guys who used to work on cars, for some reason, they always think thicker is better. <laughs> and you got to tell, look, because some is good does Doesn't not mean, mean more is better. Exactly. The right amount is what is better. You, you can't right just week. take it on yourself or the all change guy can't just decide, well, this is too thin, so we're going to do this. Right. So that's another thing that takes out a lot of catalytic converters. Now, another factor that really kills converters is when you don't manage the fuel-air mixture properly. Uh-huh. And that is handled by a number of different devices on the car. You have oxygen sensors, air-fuel sensors, MAP sensors, You have all these different things, airflow meters, that tell the car how much fuel and air need to be in there. Correct. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more when we get back right after this break. Phew, I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year, and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? And we've got Herb on the line. Good morning. Good morning again. Yes, sir. Them catalytic converters, uh, me and a friend almost burnt down a truck one time. <laughs> we come out with the diesels that put in the high line pole in, parked in the high grass. Uh-huh. Yep. Hunting season coming up, and hay balers and all that stuff right out in that dry grass. That's a good point. Tops. With them big four-wheel drives, they can go anywhere. Well, they can still burn the world down in the truck. Oh, absolutely will. Absolutely will. Yeah, I, I remember years ago when they first started coming out with converters, there was a couple of fires like that. Now, they put a lot of shields and all on now, but it can still happen. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted to just comment on. That's a good point. All right. Thanks. All right, Herb. Thanks, man. And, you know, as Herb was saying, catalytic converters do get extremely hot. Yes, they do. And they are pretty well shielded on modern cars. However... They're not designed combustible material, combustible around, material them. around them. And like one instance that just comes to my mind is hunters. Uh-huh. Is most hunters think nothing of pulling off in some tall grass to park right. their truck off the road or get out of the way or maybe closer to their hunting stand or whatever. You've been running down that highway. That catalytic converter is 1,200 degrees, which is well above the combustion part of that dry grass. Sure. You pull out in the dry grass, park your truck. When you come back, there may be a pile of cinders <laughs> sitting there. So, yeah, you want to be careful. Realize there is a very, very hot object underneath your truck. Do not park around combustibles because that can be a problem. Oh, yeah, definitely. In fact, I think some of the chemical plants here in the Baton Rouge area get a waiver from EPA where they can take the converters off of the trucks that operate inside the plant. That's what I've heard. So long as they are not ever going to come out of that plant, they're never going to be used on the highway, I think they will allow them to remove the catalytic converters just because it is a combustion hazard because so many flammables around. Right. You know, if you've got a truck operating in a refinery, and I don't know, maybe someone from the refinery could call and clarify that because I don't know for sure that's true, but I just kind of heard that secondhand that right. uh, they do in some cases remove the converters from them. and maybe maybe so maybe not but anyone who works at one of the chemical plants so maybe they could let us know clarify that <laughs> okay we were talking about the fuel air mixture on a car and ideally that mixture should be 14.7 to 1 parts fuel to air correct the air being the most and the manufacturers use a lot of things to try to keep it precisely at that mixture because at that mixture, it's going to make the maximum amount of power with the greatest fuel economy and also give the best emissions. So a lot of the things on your car are designed to maintain that mixture precisely. Right. The, a carbur- the, when it first came out, the carburetor mm-hmm. right. would do a decent job. I mean, they, they weren't exact. Well, it was physics. You right. had a Venturi that would suck so much air, so much gas, and it would keep it around that number. Right. But now with modern fuel injection, right. they can fine-tune that right to 14.7 under just about any condition. Well, they first came out with ignition timing where they could vary the ignition timing so they could change the spark going off in the event based on the RPM of the engine and that, which improved that efficiency quite a bit. Later on, they came out with where well, they could vary the fuel pressure and that, which helped some more. Then they came out with variable cam timing where they could change the cam timing to make it even more efficient. Now with direct injection, they can inject that fuel precisely when they want in the combustion event. They can double fire it if they need to. They can do all sorts of things that makes it even more efficient. Now, all that being said, that stuff works real well. 
and it helps not only to increase mileage, increase horsepower, but to protect the catalytic converter. Correct. I know a lot of times people will say, well, I'm going to get this chip and it's going to make more power. Well, yeah, it might make more power, but what you're doing is you're taking all this fine engineering that's gone in there. Possibly they're putting a little more fuel into the chamber than what it needs. Well, it makes a little more horsepower, but it takes out the catalytic converter because whoever designed that chip wanted to make more horsepower. He didn't really care how long the converter lasts. Right. Or things like that. Another thing is driving around with a check engine light on. For instance, one of the first devices in a car is what they call an airflow meter. And this is a big gauge that's on the airstream. It tells the engine how much air is entering the engine. Now, it takes that and puts it into the computer, and they make a calculation based on the amount of air coming in with many, many other factors, how much fuel it's going to take to obtain that exact mixture. Correct. If the airflow meter goes bad or starts reading improperly, then it skews that reading. It will skew the reading. Fortunately, the air fuel sensors are going to pick that up. They're going to say, wait, something's wrong here. We're not ending up with the mixture that the calculations say we should. So they can override, and it's called fuel trim. They can start adding additional fuel or they can start subtracting fuel. As to what is coming out of the exhaust. Right, based on what's coming out of the final, how much oxygen is remaining in the exhaust. Now, when that skew gets to a certain percentage, maybe 15% on some cars, 25% on others, it's going to throw a check engine light on because, hey, something's just too far wrong here. Right, right. We're at the end of the scale. Something's wrong, so it throws a light on. We need to be looked at. Right. Now, a lot of times people will get a code for, say, an airflow meter, and the first thing you want to do is go change the meter. Right. However, it doesn't mean the airflow meter is bad. It means that's sort of the plug figure. When the fuel-air mixture is wrong and the air-fuel sensors or the O2 sensors detect that it is wrong, but the computer says it should be right, that's when it's going to normally throw an airflow meter because that's the first thing it can think of. That's the, way, that's, the way, that's the way the software is written. Right. This, 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 this and this happened. Do Turn this. this light on. Right. Now, throw this code. What happens, obviously... The higher the barometric pressure, the less amount of air flow you need to get the same volume of air coming in. Uh-huh. So many cars have what they call a barometer on them. It detects the barometric pressure. Right. The same thing with the intake air temperature. The colder the air, the more dense it is. So the more oxygen it has in it, the hotter the air, the less dense it's going to be. So all of these things can affect that. Another major factor is the temperature. I'm sorry, is the altitude. Mm-hmm. Because as you get higher and higher above sea level, the air gets thinner, thinner and thinner. So it requires more air flow to receive the same amount of air in the chamber. That's why when you had a carburetor adjusted at sea level and you went 2,000 feet yeah, it above sea run. level, it wouldn't <laughs> run very well. But today's cars can take that into, fat, into account. Right. The computer can adjust, like you were saying, for the barometric pressure and it can change the the, fuel I, the air temperature. It Everything. can change for all those different factors. And if any of those sensors go bad, or if the wire on one of those sensors is not making right. good contact, maybe it's corroded, which is changing the reading from where it should be. Maybe a rodent got in there and chewed the wire. Who knows? If any of these factors occur, what's going to happen at that point is it may very well throw an airflow meter code. Sure. Because all it knows is the air fuel mixture should it's, be right based on this amount of airflow. It's, it's not, not right, so it's, it signals that. However, you go and spend $500 for an airflow meter, 
and you still got the check engine light. And not only that, but you take off one that is working like it's supposed to. Right. You end up with an aftermarket one that doesn't work like it's supposed to. Well, maybe to. it doesn't work at all. <laughs> Who and knows? A lot of those uh, airflow meters have to turn your old one in as a core. That's right. So it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. And, and you're kind of stuck in a boat now. That's right. And this is just a handful of the things that can lead you wrong. Now, if the fuel-air mixture goes off, first you put an airflow meter on it, well, it doesn't fix it. Well, you're out five, 600 bucks at this point. You Easy. get pretty frustrated. So you say, well, my inspection sticker's not due yet. I'll just wait till my inspection sticker's due. Keep on driving around. Well, that improper airflow mixture may very well take out that catalytic converter. Yep. And being the light is already on, you won't know it. You won't know. Because one light is covering the, the, the sensors and the computer Well, on the until vehicle. you go and get the original problem fixed and the light's still on with a code 430 or a code 420, and now the guy's telling you, hey, you got more problems here. Right. So, hey, let's go back to our phone lines. We've got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Uh, just a quick question. I know time's getting close. I was at a stoplight recently, glanced down at a little, I think, a Nissan uh, Mini SUV next to me. Mm-hmm at the mag style wheels uh-huh. and i looked again because it looked like the paint was flaking off and it looked like it was a plastic or a composite wheel is there such a thing oh yeah there's several of them those have been around david since back in probably at least the 1970s oh my goodness yeah. is that something to avoid uh, <laughs> well you don't have much choice in, yeah. in most matters it's just whatever's on there is on there and most time you're not even going to know about it until something happens they do give some problems in some instances but a lot of times the last life of the car i guess they're as good as anything i've seen chrome plated wheels with a chrome peeling off oh, yeah factory yeah. factory factory chrome, chrome yeah it's just stuff happens it's hard to protect yourself from everything but yeah a lot of them are coated with a polymer or like a plastic a rubber type coating and what it does, it protects from rock chips and stuff because they are a bit spongy. You know, if a rock hits it, it doesn't chip it or peck it. I mean, there's all kinds of engineers who sit there all day long dreaming this kind of stuff up. A lot of them are plastic coated. A lot of your Chevy pickups have a plastic chrome plastic chrome cover. plastic cover. It looks like a mag yeah. wheel, but if you look really, really close, it's a chrome cover, plastic chrome cover that's covering the wheel. So, well, I guess I just haven't been paying enough attention <laughs> since the 70s. You need to get out more, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah, I along a quick thing. A friend of mine bumped a car at a stoplight, no visible damage, so they exchanged driver's licenses mm-hmm. and insurance companies and phone numbers, and he was going to take care of any damage. Right. Got a call back, $4,600 damage because he uh, it ruined the backup camera. Wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. and, and I guess that kind of stuff can definitely happen. I mean, we're putting little cameras and sensors and stuff in bumpers, which yeah. to me is kind of silly. A bumper is there to protect well, the car from damage. I mean, they're not bumpers anymore. They're not bumpers. They're you know, just they're, like they're covers. Yeah, they're finished covers yeah. for the body. Yeah, yeah. Car, cars ain't had bumpers since the late 70s, <laughs> well, in my opinion. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. But, yeah, you got a lot of expensive componentry in there, and, yeah, just yeah. a little tiny bump. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the show, how – the complexity and the technology adds cost, and you can look at the body shop guy and say, oh, my God, five thousand no, but you know, he didn't build a car. <laughs> That's right. All he's doing is repairing it. Yeah, he's just trying to put it back the way it was. Well, I sure do appreciate it, and uh, y'all have a great weekend. Hey, thanks, Dave. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. we got a couple of minutes left, but we are getting very, very, very close. Very close. <laughs> we were talking about catalytic converters and the different ramifications I just want to kind of briefly touch on the air pump system. This is a system that injects air into the catalytic converters. 
and these are getting more and more rare they these are. days. They don't use them as much. Toyota still uses it like on their five sevens and their four okay. sixes. And when you get a malfunction in the air injection system, it may be tempting to just ignore it because right. it doesn't affect the way it runs. Right. All it does is inject air. Injects air into the converter, which cools the converter down. Exactly. So the point is, cools down. Right. They didn't put it on there just to put it no, on there. No, they didn't it's add all these expensive components just to do it. Right. It's they, on there for a reason. They did it because that's required to protect that catalytic converter. So. The point is, anytime a check engine light comes on, you need a proper diagnosis. Yes. Not a parts throw at, not a parts store diagnosis, but a proper diagnosis and repair it as quick as possible. And that's going to save you a whole lot of money down yes, the road. Will. There yes, you go. Will. And that's the name of that team. <laughs> I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service to the written ratings part and fill it out for us. That's right. If they got a place for a written review, we really appreciate it if you give us a good review because that'll move us up. If folks type in the word auto repair, our name will come up close to the top of the list, which means more people likely to tune in to us, which means they won't throw us off the air. That's it. We keep doing the show. <laughs> keep on doing the show. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.